morning, everyone. Like Matt said, my name is Colton. I'm the youth pastor here at SunWest. Uh, and this past week was a pretty big week for my family. Um, this past weekend, so last weekend, my wife and I, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Uh, yeah. And it's not as much of like a round of applause for me as it is for my wife. You know, it's easy being married to her. I'm sure it's not being easy married to me. So uh, if anybody gets credit, I think it is her. So uh, 10 years ago, we got married. Uh, We went on, like basically the next day, we went on our honeymoon. We got back uh, to Saskatchewan where we spent one night. We packed our little car filled with, I think, like an air mattress, folding table, folding chairs, and a few clothes, and we moved uh, to Calgary. Uh, so this, you know, also marks uh, the 10-year uh, anniversary of working at SunWest. So if you want to hear an underdog story, uh, you guys hired this guy. Um, all right, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, 10 years fresh out of Bible school, but you took a risk uh, that I am so thankful that you did. Uh, in those 10 years, I got a haircut, uh, grew up. I'm not the guy with the gray hair. It's uh, the other hair, uh, and it's not a wig, it's real. Um, and I'm, yeah, it's a place where we've grown our family, where we feel like this is a place where we belong, and we feel that we are incredibly blessed to be able to be a part of this amazing community. Uh, recently, I was reading my kids a bedtime story, uh, and I came upon this story, right? And I think most stories, when we read our kids' bedtime stories, you're like, okay, like, aren't they really, like, they're a little bit, like, Uh, fictional, you know, like it's not like a real story. And this one I came about and I was like, this one just seems like the most ridiculous story of them all. And this is the story of the tortoise and the hare. Has anybody read that story before? Like, I think this is probably one that we're all familiar with because it's pretty famous. And it goes something like this. There was a hare was making fun of a tortoise one day for being so slow. Do you ever get anywhere? He asked with a mocking laugh. Yes, replied the tortoise. And I get there sooner than you think. I'll run you a race to prove it. The hare was much amused at the idea of running a race with the tortoise, but for the fun of things, he agreed. So the fox, who had consented to act as judge, marked the distance and started the runners off. The hare was soon far out of sight, and to make the tortoise feel very deeply how ridiculous it was for him to race a hare, he lay down beside the path to take a nap until the tortoise would catch up. The tortoise, meanwhile, kept going slowly but steadily, and after a time, he passed where the hare was napping. But the hare slept on very peacefully, and when at last he did wake up, the tortoise was near the goal. The hare now ran his swiftest, but he could not overtake the tortoise in time. Let's talk about an underdog story, right? This one is actually so much that it actually just seems that it is completely ridiculous, right? There is no way that a turtle—have you seen a turtle? Uh, I think in water they're pretty fast, um, but recently I, I did actually see a turtle, and they're pretty slow. Uh, or they just sit there in the sun and they sunbathe, right? I've seen a rabbit. we got rabbits all over Calgary. Have you ever tried catching one? Uh, I have, I have uh, but I have not been successful. Uh, they're incredibly fast, right? Uh, so we see it, and we see this idea that it is completely ridiculous. How would this make any sense? And we know, like, the theme of the story is this, is that the rabbit is fast, the rabbit has giftings of being fast, he let those get to his head, that he became arrogant, and in his arrogance, right, he lost. And the turtle, somebody who's humble, slow, and steady, uh, continues to go and wins the race. But we look at this and we think, this doesn't really happen, does it, within life, right? It's usually those who are faster are faster and win the race, those who are slower are slower and 
lose the race. Uh, and this has kind of been the theme that we've been talking about for the last couple mo- or last month or so. We've been talking about these underdog stories. So although that this might not be a reality that we see quite often, we actually realize that this is the reality in Scripture. That, that Jesus, that God is in the business of using those tortoises, those underdogs, uh, to actually make an impact in the world. We read the story of Rahab, Moses, Joseph, uh, the woman in need of a miracle during this sermon series, that the kingdom of God is a true underdog story, similar to the tortoise and the hare. Jesus emphasizes that it's the underdog uh, is the way of the kingdom, that this kingdom is developed. And that when you look in scripture, we see this multiple times, not just through stories, but actually Jesus basically straight out says it. Uh, in Matthew 20, 16, it says this, so those who are last will now be first then, and those who are first will be last Right? Let's talk about something that sounds ridiculous. What does this even mean? The first will be last, the last will be first. He doesn't just say it here, but even in chapter 19, after he talks to the rich young ruler, uh, he ends it with this. He says, but many who are great now will be least important then, and those who seem important now will be great then. Right? It doesn't make any sense. Right? Life should actually just completely make sense. That's all. That's all. Right? First will be last, last will be first. It kind of sounds like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights, where uh, if you're not first, you're last. Um, that's it, right? But then later on in the movie, he realizes that they're second and third and his whole life's changed, okay? So it's not, if you're not just first, that's it. Uh, But we go about that mentality, don't we? Right, if we're not first, we're last. But the kingdom of God is something that is quite different. It looks quite different. Uh, When we look at the beginning of this, so Matthew 20, 16, if we start in verse one, it goes like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the market and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he went in town again and he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't been working today? They replied, Because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last worker first. Then those who, when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those who were hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last will now, now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Right? If this happened in our workplaces, how outraged would we be? Right? We read the Bible and we're like, oh yeah, whatever. But could you imagine uh, if you're on salary and you worked 11 months and somebody gets hired for that last month, they work only one month and they get, the pay, they get paid the same as you for doing the same work. Right? It would be complete outrage. I think there'd be a riot uh, going on within your workplace. I think that this story is not only seems ridiculous, that this story actually seems dangerous. 
that if this is the way the world or the kingdom of God looks like, right, it has potential to flip everything upside down. It flips the script. Uh, It is completely ridiculous. I think one of these things that we grow up with, or one of the things that we realize first, uh, is this sense of fairness and justice within life, right? Like if I train the hardest, then I better win the race, that that is fair, but sometimes we just lose. Or if I work hard, then sometimes somebody else gets a credit for it. Uh, The work that I've put in, we get upset. Even as kids, I gave my son a larger scoop of ice cream than I gave my daughter, who's older. And she was like, ah, it's fine. He deserves it. Uh, No, she started screaming. Uh, And she's like, I'm older than him. I should get more. And just like, we have this sense deep inside of us of what is fair and what is just. The lengths that we go to to actually establish justice when things aren't fair. Yet, when we read this story, God kind of redefines justice. Justice is now described as a new life of forgiveness, grace, freedom, and it's available to all, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey. That God's justice is the fairest of all. It flips the script. It's good news, especially for those who view themselves as last in the world. So in this story, the tortoise and the hare, uh, in this parable, the first and the last. So let's ask ourselves the question, uh, who is last? I think there's multiple ways that we can answer this thing, but uh, when we look outside and we look to the world, I think it's pretty evident. Right? We can see that those who are last are maybe those who aren't as well off, right? maybe stuck in poverty or poor, maybe those who are marginalized, oppressed, uh, those that have health issues, that those who need to be advocated for. Right? We look at them and we're like, oh, they're right, there's, there's, it's last in the world. Then, of course, this is completely good news. Right? It's like you're last in the world, but in the kingdom of God, you are going to be first. Who is not going to jump into that invitation right away? It is such good news, especially if you are considered last. But what about those who are considered first? I think here's where it starts to get a little bit more difficult of those who are considered first. And I mean, what does it look like for us to actually be first in the world? What does it look like for us to be the hare, the one who's faster, the one who has the advantage? And I think when we look outside and we see what are the things that are first in the world, it really comes down to what are the things that we're actually desire and what are the things that we're working hard to achieve and the things that we're working to get to. And I think it comes down to four things. I know there's more. There's, there's more than four things. But I think it comes down to, we can kind of sum it up to four things. I think those who are first in the world are those who have power. Right? Those who have importance. Those who have power and say of what other people are doing, right? That's the thing of being first in the world. I think the other thing is those who are good looking, beautiful, right? We could continuously compare ourselves to other people in social media that we want to look a certain way. And those who do usually have an advantage and get ahead. We want to be successful. That everything we, we do, we actually want it to be successful. That we don't want to fail. We want to be successful. And I think lastly... And this one this one's, uh, is, the, is the hard one, one of the hardest ones. I think we have a desire to be wealthy, to be rich. And I think those who are wealthy and rich in this world usually are like the hare, that they have the step above the rest. And here's the thing about all these things, about wanting to be first, is quite often they are at the expense of somebody else. If we want to be powerful, that means that we actually have to have power over other people. And I think at times when it comes to leadership, there can be good leaders, but I think there's sometimes that we let that get to our head and we use it in a bad way. If you want to be beautiful, that means that you probably have to be better looking than somebody else, uh, right? We continuously go on social media and we compare ourselves to other people, uh, that we go and we look for success. For us to be successful, that means that somebody else has to fail. 
For us to be rich, that means that we actually must have maybe more money than our neighbor, or we actually have to take money from somebody else for our own gain. Quite often, when it comes to trying to be first in the world, it's usually at the expense of somebody else. And when we establish this, right, it feels really good. Right? We've got all these things that we desire that we're looking for, and it can be really hard news where all of a sudden you read the story where it's like, the first will be last. And what does that mean? That just seems to me like bad news, right? I thought the kingdom of God, the gospel, was supposed to be good news. Who wants to give up this in order to be part of the kingdom of heaven? If I need to be last, then why do I actually want to be a part of this journey? So we get to, finally, the, the character that we're going to be talking about today is Matthew. One of the disciples of Jesus. Most often credited for writing, or, or, uh, yeah, writing the gospel of Matthew. And comes from his stories. Right? And we don't really know that much about Matthew. There's a few stories within scripture, but there's not like a lot that really tells us about who he is and his character and all those kind of things. But there are a few things that we do know that I think that Matthew, in according to the world, would have been one of those people who was first. Right? He was somebody who probably had his success, he had power, and he had riches. You know, it doesn't really tell us about, you know, I said about those, those three things, uh, but I don't know if he was good looking or not. You know, the Bible doesn't really go into that detail. You know, he doesn't write in there that I was better looking than all the other disciples. Um, but we can see from his life and where he was at that he would have had power, he would have had success, that he would have had riches, especially when we read and we see that he was a tax collector. So who was Matthew? And let's share a little bit about the story of Matthew. Matthew was Jewish. Right? He grew up religious. He spent time in his childhood learning all the scriptures, learning the Pentateuch, memorizing scriptures, and learning about the Messiah who is to come to set all things right. Along the way, Matthew found out that he didn't really fit in with the religious group, that he didn't really fit the mold of being a good Jewish boy, but what he was good at was numbers. And those numbers made him good at finances. He discovered that he was good with money and his knowledge could benefit him in the world. He desired to count money, but also to make money. Instead of pursuing the religious lifestyle, he pursued money, success, power. He knew that this world existed within the Roman Empire, the enemy, in the eyes of the Israelites, and he made his community there. He abandoned his family history to start a new life, stealing money from his community. See, tax collectors raised money for Rome from the Jewish people. So Matthew would collect money from his own people. But the way the tax collectors would make money, a little bit extra, right? If you want to become wealthy, is to take a little bit extra off the top, and he would do that within his community. Matthew had the life that he thought he desired. He had the firsts. He had power over people. He had the power of Rome behind him. He was successful in his job, and with his success came riches. From the outside looking in, you'd be like, this guy's first. Why would he ever want to be last and be part of God's kingdom? But little did we know, he was rich in the world, but he still remained spiritually poor. Let's read a little bit more about Matthew's story here. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who are righteous, but those who are sinners. Right? I didn't come to call those who are arrogant, who think they are first, even within the spiritual world. I came to call those who are spiritually poor. Upon his calling, Matthew left everything, right? He's sitting there, and then right away, he just gets up, invites, and like gets up, follows Jesus, and actually says, hey, come to my life. Like, you've changed my life. I want you to change everybody around me, everyone else's life around me as well. It didn't make sense. Matthew had everything, right? Why would he leave this power, success, and riches to follow that guy? I think it's because God actually caught his heart. God offered him something that money can't buy, Jesus offers a life and life to the fullest, life with purpose, meaning, justice, forgiveness, healing, community, and he offers eternity. We even know that within Matthew, right, you think, of course, you got a tax collector, this guy's going to be your money guy in the group. We see within scripture that he didn't even become the money guy. That was reserved for a guy named Judas. Um, Instead, Matthew just embraced the life that God had for him, no longer trusting what Uh, being first in the world have to offer, but trusting in a Messiah that he learned about as a young kid. Instead of building wealth, he helped build a community of believers that changed the face of the world. Instead of building power for himself, he allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to flow in his life. He left a religious life as a kid, but he never gave up hope in the justice of a Messiah. Matthew may have been first in the world, but the grace transformed him into an underdog. So we talked about these, these firsts. And here's the thing. I think there, like, there's a lot of these firsts in the world and these things that I'm talking about. It's not that they're all bad things. right? Power, wealth, success, beauty. They're not that they're all bad things, but there is a caution to them. That there can be actually danger in them. We live in an influential world where there's a lot of money, there's power, there's success, there's beauty, there's things to grab onto, but they have the potential for the gift to be more important than the one who's providing When we achieve these things, we credit ourselves as the most important, right? Like, I earned this. I did this. I am this. And we let that actually get into our our, uh, identity. And similar to the hair, we start to make fun of other people, right? Oh, I'm way better. I'm faster than you, right? I can actually sleep on the job and still get paid more than you, right? Uh, We we can lord it over other people. Um, But when we believe that we are better than the tortoise, right? Arrogance only leads to this loneliness and discontentment. We read on in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. It says this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful and wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things of the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Right? Even when we have these firsts, we can't boast in them that we are the reason why we have those things. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be Wisdom itself, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Right? Like I said, all the firsts, they aren't really all that bad. But if we 
we are, if we are blessed, we're not actually just meant to be blessed to keep it to ourselves. If we are blessed, we are not meant to turn that blessing into boasting, right? If we're blessed, we're actually meant to turn that blessing into blessing others. God chose the powerless to shame those who are powerful. He chose the underdog to show the way of his kingdom. One where grace makes us all equal. It doesn't seem fair in the eyes of the world, but it seems fair in the face of eternity, or it is fair in the face of eternity. If we want to boast, we can boast in Christ alone. I said this phrase a few weeks ago when we were doing the thankfulness uh, sermon series or sermon, and I thought it fits really well here too. What we don't turn into praise turns into pride. What do we turn into pride? What do we take credit for and not actually giving credit to Christ? This doesn't just happen with power, success, wealth, and beauty. It doesn't just happen outside of the church. I think this actually happens inside the church all the time. We looked at this within the, the, even the calling of Matthew. And it's like, why are you eating with people like that? Or it's like, we are too good as religious people to actually be spending time with people like that. We see it where it's like, hey, you know what? I worked all day. And yet these people who just started working later on, they get paid the same thing as me. I think there's a lot of us in the church that like to get uh, and become first. And I get caught in that same trap all the time. Right, I started attending church and getting volunteering and involved because I'm like, oh, I actually want to make an impact and a difference. Like Christ impacted my life, and I actually want to go and impact other people's lives. But eventually along the way, it's like, hey, actually, I like being the main greeter. Or I like being in charge of the coffee team. Or I like being the one who's only teaching kids ministry, and I don't want anybody else to. Or even I get stuck in this all the time, that even when it comes to youth ministry, I want my leaders to thrive and to grow. But sometimes I'm like, no, I just do it this way. And my way is right. And I actually don't allow room for new people to come in. Right? That we think that I've been to church, I've suffered, I've done all the work like the older son and the prodigal uh, son story. That it, and then, uh, when somebody who makes mistakes and they come back, that they don't deserve it. They don't get, deserve to be paid the same. Right? That sometimes we lord it over and we think that we are more spiritual than other people. That we become first, even within the church. Although Matthew would have been viewed first, to the outside world. Within the religious circle, he considered himself to be spiritually poor. The danger of being first, does, yeah, it doesn't just exist outside the church. The religious leaders would parade it, their spirituality over the world. This quickly turned into pride, and it blinded them from seeing the kingdom of God. But Matthew, the spiritually poor, had his eyes open in waiting. So we asked this question, and I think this one can be a difficult one to ask, and I don't know if it's necessarily one or the other. There might be little bits and pieces. We might have a little bit of the tortoise in us, and we might have a little bit of the hare in us. Uh, sorry, that was a weird sentence. Uh, but I mean, like, the, yeah, the rabbit, right? Uh, where you are, are you first or are you last? Are you among those who are last, who are spiritually poor? Not just spiritually poor, but even within the world, that life has just seemed that it is difficult and hard and challenging? Well, guess what? The kingdom of God is good news in your life. Are you amongst the first? Are you been gifted? You've been blessed? You're fixed with the burden of pride? Well, the kingdom of God may be more difficult to boast in, but guess what? It is still good news. In this story, the kingdom of God is available to both. Those who are last and those who are first, they are both good news. One might be easier to receive than the other, but they are both good news, which leads us back to the story of Matthew. When Matthew was called, the first thing that he did was he arose. 
right? He got up, that he stood up, and that he followed Jesus. And if Matthew is the one who's credited to to the Gospels of Matthew, uh, where this story takes place, I think, has a lot of significance. Like, when we look at the scriptures and how they're created and how they're inspired with uh, the Spirit, that I think there is so much beauty, not just even in the words, but even the placement of each story. The story of Matthew, when we see it in, in Matthew 9, we see that Matthew has squeezed his calling story in between a sequence of miracles. Jesus is traveling around and then he's going and while he's traveling, the first thing he does is within the story, he goes and he heals somebody who's paralyzed. Next, he goes and he calls Matthew. Next, we see that he goes and he heals that woman that Brad talked about a few weeks ago, that he heals somebody uh, who's succumbed to bleeding. Then he goes and he raises to life a religious leader's daughter, right? So it's miracle, calling, miracle, miracle. But I don't think that this is a coincidence. In doing so, I believe that Matthew is telling us something about the beginning of his life with Christ. With his calling, right, he views his new life received in Christ along with the miracle stories. It fits right in with everything else that's going on. That Matthew views his life with Christ as a miracle. He immediately got up and followed him. Other translations, it says that he rose up and followed Jesus. He rose up into a new life. Similar to Jesus rising on the third day, Matthew experienced resurrection life here and now. Right? And if resurrection life is not a miracle, then I don't know what is. The miracle of God is something that it makes nobodies into somebodies. Right? It's this like true underdog story that Matthew and the rest of the disciples had no business ushering the kingdom of God, yet they changed the world. If you feel like a nobody... God's identity on you is that you are a somebody. Where we lay down our desire for the things of this world, but we accept the gift of grace. No longer feeling the pressure of the world, but resting in the identity, the life, and purpose God has for each one of us. So maybe you feel like a nobody. God is in the business of making you into a somebody. And here's the thing, it's not even just like making you into a somebody. When we actually follow Christ and realize the identity that he has on us, that we are already a somebody. Why? because we are a child of God, that we are created in his image, that you are a somebody. And this is the miracle that Matthew's experiencing, that he is a somebody, no longer just spiritually poor, looking at those who are religious, who are better than him, but that God has called him. So do we view our life with Christ as a miracle? If we viewed our life with Christ and our first calling as a miracle, I think our lives would look completely different. Right? I believe that if we actually viewed our life with Christ as a miracle, things would never be the same. I asked somebody this week, and I said, hey, when you started following Jesus, did you view this as a miracle? Like, is this a miracle? And they, they're like, uh, you know, but I, I had this friend. Like, I don't know about me, but I had this friend who grew up in a really hard life, probably last within the world. I grew up and had a hard life, grew up in an atheist home that they started following Jesus and their life looked completely, completely different from that moment on. She was like, now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. But I just grew up in the church. And it got me reflecting. I was like, hey, you know what? I grew up in the church. That I was blessed uh, to be raised in the home where the Bible was falling apart because it was read so much. I didn't have to go through some of these different struggles because I just was raised by following Jesus and going to church and youth group. Uh, and at 16, that this actually became a reality to me. I think at some point you're, you grew up and you grew up in the church, but at some point it became this reality to me and my life looked completely different. I laid down these pursuits of whatever, athletics and all these other things, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to just spend time with God and dedicate my life there, that in that moment, in that day, I experienced a miracle. 
and from that moment forward. But there are quite often where I actually just forget about it. I get stuck in the rest of life and the mundane things, and I don't actually think about the miracle that living with Jesus actually is. Because it's a miracle. I really believe that it is. And when we look at that, I think our lives look very, very different. How different would our lives look if each day, as we are living a miracle, let's live the miracle of the kingdom. One where the first will be last, and the last will be first. I want to finish uh, with an exercise. And it's just like a fill-in-the-blank. Okay? And I think there is power for each of one of us to actually practice this individually. Okay? And it's going to be this. It says, if I viewed my life with Christ as a miracle, I would blank. Okay? And I don't think that we're all going to have the same answer. But I think, yes, the salvation in God is, is universal, that it's for all of us, but yet at the same time, he knows us personally. And he knows what we actually need. So when we look at this, we see Matthew, right? Matthew would have been like, if I viewed my life with Christ as a miracle, I would lay down the things of this world that I thought were first so that I could be first in the kingdom of heaven. I think that's the story of Matthew. It's this underdog story. Maybe for some of us, if I viewed my life with Christ as a miracle, I would not worry what other people think of me because my identity rests in Christ. Maybe it's, I wouldn't worry about tomorrow because God is a good provider. Maybe it's, I would actually live with courage and no longer fear. Maybe it's, I would pursue the giftings that God has given me. If I viewed my life with Christ as a miracle, I would be brave in sharing my faith because I want others to experience that same miracle. I would lay down what's first in the world to pursue the kingdom of God. And I believe that this list is unique for each one of us. But I believe as we actually finish this sentence that I think it's life-changing for each one of us. If we were truly to follow the underdog story, to go into the kingdom of God and what that looks like, I think that changes our lives. As we accept that resurrection life here and now and forevermore. But sometimes I think we just need to be reminded. Right? I've just kind of gotten into the same habits of, of being part of this community and going to church and volunteering. But sometimes I really need to stop and just be reminded of why am I doing this? Why, what was my life like when I was first called or followed Jesus? Do I view it as a miracle? And I think there's many of us right here that maybe we just need to be reminded of the miracle that we're living right now. And maybe for some, you've been like Matthew where you pursued a different path, the path of the world, desiring to be powerful, successful, beautiful, or rich, and you desire to be first in the world, but you found yourself spiritually poor, wanting more, left unsatisfied, holding off for a Messiah. That same calling that Christ gave Matthew is actually there for us as well. That all we have to do is to rise up. And sometimes that means we leave those things behind and we go and follow Jesus, the Messiah that we have been waiting for, one who is worthy of following, the giving of resurrection life, grace, and justice. If we accept life with Christ as a miracle, um, yeah, and accept life with Christ as a miracle, all we need to do is just rise up like Matthew and follow Jesus. So as we conclude, there's a few things. If we would live our life, viewing our life as a miracle, what would look different? What does it look like for us to be reminded of the life that Jesus is and reminded of our calling? And lastly, if you are somebody who's, who's never made that decision before, maybe you're sitting at your tax collector's booth and God is calling you, because I believe that God is calling you. The same that he called the disciples, he is calling us, and maybe we need to rise up and to follow Jesus. And maybe that is the first time today of making those decisions. Let me pray. God, we want to thank you. 
We want to thank you for the, what the kingdom of heaven is like, that you are making those who are last first and those who are first last, that you are setting things right, that this to us doesn't actually seem fair, that this doesn't seem like justice. But this equality that you bring, this grace that is available to all, no matter where we're at, no matter how long we've been on the spiritual journey, whether we've been working since first thing in the morning or whether we got called in at five o'clock, that you have the same grace available to all of us. And we just want to say thank you. So instead, God, of actually getting caught up of who's first and who's last and getting caught up in all of these things, Lord, let us actually just surrender to you, to look to you and to see the miracle that that is. God, we just want to say, hey, we're tired of trying to build our own life of becoming first. We surrender that life to you so that we can become last, and in doing so, we become first in your kingdom. Praise your name. Amen. So I want us to exist to guide all people into authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. When we read those stories and we see that Matthew, as soon as he was called, that he goes and who does he tell? Right? He goes, tells his friends. He goes, tells the other tax collectors and other sinners, and he goes and he tells them about Jesus. When you read the story about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is available for those who started the work day right at the beginning and worked all the way to the end of the day, same as those who started at the end of the day. But this is a calling and available to all people, to all of us. It's not just to a specific one, but what it means is we can no longer just boast in ourselves, become arrogant like the hare, but what we need to do is to boast in Christ and to give credit where credit is, to lay down our own lives and actually receive the life that Christ has for us. So no matter where you're at, within our journey, our spiritual journey, we're all in this thing together. And if you'd like to receive prayer, we have prayer teams up at the front, maybe for a reminder of, to be reminded of the miracle that life with Christ is, or maybe you're like, actually, I want to receive this miracle for the first time. We want to invite you up. Or even if there's other things going on in life, whether sickness or health or things to praise or ask for prayer, we want to pray together as a community and want to invite you forward. So let's pray. God, thank you again for the miracle that you give. Let us receive it. Yeah. Let us not boast in ourselves, but just boast in you. Yeah, your spirit come. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Like Matt said, we've got children's ministry and junior high conversations kicking off next week. Um, and we hope to see you back again next week. <clears throat>